Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 11th episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome Michelle Higafox. Michelle is an artist, filmmaker, and creative director of Slanted Studios, which she founded in Brooklyn, New York. She divides her time between directing commercial projects, creating public art installations, and curating motion graphics. Michelle has worked on projects for musical artists such as Yay Sayer, My Morning Jacket, and TV on the Radio, and brands including Google, Adult Swim, Showtime, and Nike. She and her team also spend time creating incredible interactive public art installations for clients like the Sacramento International Airport and the Mercedes House in New York. Excited to get into all this on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, Michelle, welcome to Animalators. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's a huge honor. Well, I'm I'm very excited to chat. I, I love your work. Um, it is fantastic and wonderful, and I'm excited to talk about it. But first, let's get into a little bit of your story. Um, I understand that you started in this whole industry studying interactive design or interactive installations. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that uh, kind of school experience? Totally. Um, it was it was interactive installations, which was uh, incredibly impractical to study <laughs> in 2003. <laughs> um, but I loved it. Um, I used a, a program called uh, Max MSP and Jitter that might be familiar to people who uh, do interactive or do audio work. Okay. Um, but, you know, when I graduated, that wasn't really a, a career that was feasible, or at least I didn't know what I could do um, to pay the rent and make a living doing that. But yeah. I had learned After Effects, so. <laughs> so I'm curious, was there a lot of like coding involved? Like were you kind of, I don't know, what were your thoughts going into school? Because I've never heard of anyone studying that. It's pretty awesome. I guess when I was 16, I guess that, that must have been like 1996, I was teaching myself um, how to make websites like on GeoCities, if you remember. Oh, that, yes. That I had a Ge- GeoCities <laughs> website. It was amazing. Um, it, I, it was not amazing. One of these days I want to um, I want to dig into my really, really old hard drives and find the logo <laughs> because we, my friend and I started like a web design company when we were 16 called Web Spinners that had the worst logo yes, ever. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> and I remember like playing with, I think it was like Photoshop 4, like I, I vividly remember using Photoshop for the first time at my summer job. I worked at a swimming pool, like taking the $2 fee from people. <laughs> um, and on the work computer, someone else had installed Photoshop. And I remember it was like the same day that like the first episode of South Park came out. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> and so we were like playing with the characters. Um, but when I, when I started school, I was just, you know, undeclared. And I didn't think I'd be doing anything related to that. Um, I just... Uh, worked in the multimedia lab because that was um, kind of a, a job that I could get um, that worked with financial aid, but was also doing something I wanted. And then I was always taking one of those digital media classes every semester. And so um, it just ended up making sense uh, when it came to declare majors. But like, I don't think I ever had any ambition to become an animator or become an, really? an artist. It's just a thing that 
I feel very like fortunate that I think the industries were kind of rising at the same time that I happened to be <laughs> learning these skills. And I think also like a big part of it was I met a lot of people in school who are like really, really passionate about this too. So we would just after hours be like doing all these crazy projects and encouraging each other. And so um, we'll come back to that later, but I think having a community of friends from the beginning was like very important in ending up in this career. Yeah. So you, you said that you learned a little bit of After Effects in school. So did you just kind of get out of school and you're like, so, so what do I do now? I guess animation maybe. Yeah, it was, it was almost exactly like that. <laughs> um, I had the summer before graduation interned for this artist named Camille Utterback, um, who was teaching at ITP and she was actually an interactive installation artist. Um, wow, cool. and I, th I think that was actually a huge, huge influence to me. I didn't realize until recently how much, but I think working with someone, um, and getting to see what someone who is a professional artist, like kind of like what her day to day looked like and like wrapping my mind around the idea that like, this is, this is real and this is something that's possible um, at such a young age was really important. But obviously that job didn't really pay that well um, and was only part-time. So uh, my friends and I were basically trolling Craigslist and taking like any job that would pay us to do something with a computer in the um, tried and true fashion of people who graduate and move to New York. So our first kind of big job we got was uh, for this company called Ribbit Films. That was the first company to have HD green screen stock footage. Oh, wow. And so they would, and we found them through Craigslist, but they basically would like <laughs> give us hard drives with like 500 green screen clips of like people boxing or like a ballerina pirouetting or like a person in business casual, like holding a box with an X on it. Um, <laughs> And then we would, we would key them and turn turn around the mats so that then the company could sell them. Um, and, you know, we were just doing this in this, like, warehouse space we rented. I mean, now I'm, like, very nostalgic for it. But I remember it was so hot because we didn't have air conditioners. <laughs> oh, no. And we would all just be, like, keying this footage. <laughs> and then, like, if someone would get a hard clip because there was, like, a basketball net or it was, like, a skateboarder with a lot of motion blur, we'd be, like, running to each other's desks and, like, teaching each other compositing tricks, basically. Yeah. But it was super fun. Um, and then we basically got super, super good at keying. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, doing is, that all day, every day. That's crazy. Yeah, and rotoscoping, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a good skill to have. For um, sure, yeah. But then the issue is kind of like once you enter the freelance market, at first it's amazing because you're like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm getting paid to use After Effects. But then after a year, you're like, oh, my God, no one's ever going to hire me to do anything except key and roto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm stuck. Um, so we did that. I mean, we did like, we did a lot of DVD authoring. Um, we actually, the way we had all met, um, and I'm still friends with all these people like Chris and Jesse from Mixtape Club and Noah Norman, who I, I recently have been collaborating a lot with and like Tavit Gilson. There's all these people like, um, we had met making a DVD magazine in college because we all did kind of weird kooky media art stuff. And if you, even if you were a filmmaker, I mean, I think YouTube came out like halfway through when I was in college, like 
the only place you could see the work your friends were making or your own work was if you were in their class. And the classes are like, you know, 12 to 18 people. Yeah. Um, and maybe at the end of the semester, but like no one's ever going to see your work. And so the kids who were kind of in creative writing or in photography, they had these uh, like journals that would come out. And we're like, well, at least maybe, you know, if there's a DVD magazine, at least we have an object that we can show people and show some of the amazing stuff that people are, are making in class. Um, so we like pitched that idea. And it's funny how much now I realize like all the skills we learned doing that, like have helped in the last 10 years, like curating and like fundraising and like understanding how to do distribution and all that. But, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it's incredible the amount of like non like actual, like I'm making something is like part of your day to day work being totally. someone who makes things for a living. But we made that. And then of course, you know, when you graduate, you, you make DVDs for other people like DVD met. I think there's one called chick style <laughs> girls, like 17 magazine, but on DVD. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you, <laughs> found, you found yourself right in, in a warehouse keying footage all day. How, how did you make, I feel like this is a very difficult thing. Like how did you make the transition from doing all that compositing work every day to, I mean, what you're doing now is like, certainly that's a part of what you're doing now, but how did you make that transition? Like getting from where you were to working on the projects you wanted to work on? I think a big part of it is the, in New York, um, and I've only ever worked professionally in New York. So this will, um, you know, be a little bit specific, but, uh, there's a pretty vibrant community. Um, and everyone's, I'm super thankful for that because I think everyone's like super creative, super smart, super like generous also. Um, but there's a lot of shops of kind of that can range from it's a person and it's their, you know, apartment to like big shops like the Miller MPC where it's like 200, 300 people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But there's enough um, of, a, of a kind of ecosystem where once uh, you've been proven to be reliable, there's almost a, a freelancer circuit. Um, where you can, you can go from shop to shop if you're not staffed somewhere. So the way we broke in was, um, one of our friends had interned at a shop and then they needed roto artists. So he recommended us and we got in all that roto and compositing skills, (laughs) right? It pays off. Um, so we got in there and then I think Chris, then got referred, like a producer referred him as a road artist to Stardust Studios. Um, and while he was there, they needed some After Effects people. And he was like, my friends Michelle and Jesse know After Effects. And I'm like, great. So they called us in. And I'll never forget, it was Michael Neidhart and Felipe Posada, who are total sweethearts. <laughs> and they uh, called us in and we're super nervous and they're like, okay, let's see your reels. And we're like, we don't have reels. <laughs> oh no. And they're like, okay, <laughs> try to animate this. We're going to give you a day. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and I just remember being terrified and being like, I'm going to animate this as hard as possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, bless them. They kept us on and, uh, I basically permalanced at Stardust for a year or two. Oh wow! Um, and it was almost like a like a grad school, like 
because I don't know, one thing I really like about doing commercial work and freelancing is that the styles change all the time. Yeah. So you're constantly being challenged. It's like constant problem solving of like, how am I going to do this? Like, okay, now it, now it looks like this. What does that mean? It's like, oh, okay, this job is like 3D. Now I'm going to learn match moving and plates. Um, and I think at least when I was there, I mean, Stardust was, it was a super amazing time because there were a group of us who were kind of up and coming and we were like constantly teaching each other. But then there was all this existing talent who was super generous too. And it was a really crazy time. Like Kim Delaney was there and John Saunders and like, I'm going to forget people. So I should stop giving actual <laughs> names, but it was, all, you know, Dan Garcia, um, Chris Blas, Andre Salyer, like all those people I'm still friends with. Um, and they're all great. Um, so that, that was kind of how we broke into freelancing. Um, and from there it was just kind of going around to the different shops and, you know, just constantly learning and trying to get better and better and better. So during your, that kind of stage of freelancing, I know next you kind of transitioned into, uh, being signed as a director. Um, do you think that you were maybe able to find your voice or maybe a style during those three years? Cause I know you said you were able to kind of bounce around and try out all these different styles, um, yeah. Were you able to kind of find your voice during that freelance period? Yeah. So I have kind of two stories in response to that. Um, the first one is that, um, Chris Smith and Jesse Casey and I had, uh, naively started a company called mixtape club. As soon as we graduated from school, um, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't totally understand what that meant. I think at the time, um, but we really knew we wanted to work together and make things. We just didn't totally understand what that meant practically. <laughs> um, so when we were freelancing, we always presented ourselves as mixtape club. Even if there was only one of us going to work somewhere, we'd be like, Oh, I have a company with my two friends. And like, you know, we have these larger capabilities. So eventually, um, Daniel Garcia, who's a really amazing guy had this opportunity to direct some music videos. So he asked us if mixtape club would be open to directing a music video for Jay Dilla. Oh, cool. Um, so we were like, of course, <laughs> um, uh, like co-directing with him. So this kind of started a trend where we would, all of us would freelance, um, you know, I'd say like nine straight months, um, often double booking cause we were all workaholics. Um, I don't think that's necessarily healthy, but you know, <laughs> that was what we did. And then kind of, we would, all take four to eight weeks off all at the same time and then do a personal project. Very cool. Um, yeah. So the first time we did that was the Jay Dilla music video, uh, which is super rewarding. Uh, it was really like intense two and a half D after effects animation. I still like look at it and I think it does look like us. Like I feel like all of the aesthetics um, and techniques that we all loved using, it's like, it really shines through. Um, and then we took, you know, eight or nine more months, 10, 11 months of freelancing. And then we all took a two month break and we made another music video for, um, TV on the radio with Dan Garcia. And that one did really well. It actually went to South by Southwest and it won oh, the best no music way. video award. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I was super delighted. And that kind of elicited a lot of, uh, meetings. So we met with Michael Fetter from Hornet. And he kind of said something that really, I think, shaped all of our thinking, which was 
Um, he's like, you know, I really like your work. Um, but you guys only have two things, uh, directed by mixtape club and it's co-directed with Dan Garcia. So I can't go to clients or go to anyone and say like, this is mixtape club's voice. Mm. Um, like basically what he's saying is like, I can't sell you guys. So I need you guys to direct something just you, uh, that really represents you. And then like, when you do that, come back to me. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're like, okay. But we were like also completely broke because we had just (laughs) (laughs) two months not working. So we freelanced, um, for like another 10, 11 months. And then this opportunity came up where Jesse was old, like high school, middle school friends with um, the band Yesair. And uh, at the time, they hadn't even released their first album. So it was more just like one of those, like, I'm going to make a music video for my friend's band yeah. thing. And that one we like concepted from the ground up. Like we wrote three different treatments and in the band, they picked one um, and we shot everything in our studio space um and just did the whole thing from scratch and it's still honestly like one of my favorite things that we ever made together wow i'll still watch it and i just love there there's a lot of like that mixed media collage thing that like that thing where none of us know actually really know how to do 3d but we're trying to make after effects do 3d and so then it ends up being this weird (laughs) two and a half d look it's like it's all there did did Uh, you feel like i always find that interesting because there's like some projects you can go back to right that you just like hate so much and you but like when you were making it you thought it was pretty good but then like i don't know i feel like they all at the end they always feel the same to me but then like you only really (laughs) know like what was actually good like five years later or something yeah i feel like i used to not like things while i made them and then i didn't like them after (laughs) yeah and then i think at this point i realized i was being way too hard on myself and now i i try to appreciate the parts I like while I'm making it and like after too. Um, but yeah, I think at the, that's a piece that's definitely grown on me as time has passed. Yeah. That's awesome. So did did that (laughs) project kind of land you a, you know, representation? Yes. And that gets to the second story actually, which I had forgotten. Um, (laughs) which is, I think one of the first mistakes that we made when we were directors, and this is far away enough now that I feel comfortable saying this, <laughs> but um, freelancing was amazing because we just got really fast and really um, technically skilled. Um, but what it hadn't prepared us for is that thing with your voice. So um, we had a really rough ride, I think, the first year when we were at Hornet and when we were at Passion Pictures because we would go into these client meetings, having seen the brief and, uh, we were pretty well versed in like approaches. So we're like, Oh, you know, we could do it stop motion or we could do it with after effects or we can make it look like illustration. And like, you know, like, which way do you want it? And then the agency or the client would be confused because they'd be like, Mm. uh, which way do you want it? Which is like never a good thing. (laughs) Um, and it took us a little while to realize that, um, when you're freelancing, it's it it can be your greatest asset to be a chameleon and be able to do different styles. But um, when people are coming to you as a director, you really have to be like, this is my vision. Um, this is the best way to tell this story. Yeah, I feel like that's that's like part of where like personally I feel I am is like, I don't know, just trying to get as much work as possible and trying to learn as many different skill sets as I can. Um, you know, so we can do all, all sorts of different jobs, but 
Yeah, like crafting your voice and like putting yourself in a place where like prospective clients and like even getting representation, like, yeah, I think you're right. I think finding that like what makes you unique is like really challenging and I think also a really important thing. Um, I don't know. Would you have any advice to anyone out there who's maybe looking for that voice? I think the most important thing is to just make the work. And I, I'm a big believer in kind of like outputting smaller stuff more frequently Hmm. is more important than like having one large opus, which I think is hard because in school, a lot of people are really used to having a master's thesis where you spend maybe a year of school making this giant piece that's supposed to represent you um, and all your eggs are in one basket. But I think Part of the reason I like working in commercials is the turnaround time is so short as opposed to, you know, TV or features. And there's so much in understanding like how to break down a script and like at the storyboard phase and the animatic phase and the actual rendering phase and audio um, and even like render wrangling at the end and exporting where you, you learn stuff that I think it's more important to go through the process start to finish as many times as possible than it is to try to like make one perfect thing <laughs> and then you yeah. make one perfect thing and it took three years. <laughs> totally. I know. I really like that. I really resonate with that. Um, so moving forward, um, you, you kind of are now set up with representation at this point. Were you like spending a lot of time pitching on jobs? Was that like kind of a, a regular activity once you guys got signed? Yeah, we were pitching pretty frequently and it was, that actually brings up another interesting point is with Mixtape Club, I think still, but especially if you look at our early work when I was still with the company, because I'm not with the company anymore, um, we were so process oriented Hmm. that I think another uh, thing that was a little bit rough for us was this process where you're supposed to make style frames and the style frames are supposed to look like the finished product, but you're doing that before the the commercials even started. Yeah. Um, And sometimes even before the script started. So I had a hard time wrapping my head around this, like, wait, you want me to commit to how this is going to look when actually once we get into it, we might realize this is not even how it's supposed to look. Yeah. Um, that, that, that could be so frustrating. And like, I feel like you want to put so much time into that. Right. And then like, yeah, <laughs> you have to get it done in like three days and you're like, what? Like, why? <laughs> yeah. And I think, I don't know, in some of, I think our most interesting work, um, the look came from the like wrestling up against the tools. Like, as I had mentioned before, I think one of our most interesting things is we were trying to get to a lot of the things that denote 3D space, like depth of field and haze and all of, um, and like perspective shifts and all of that, but without using 3D software. Yeah. Um, so, but like, the way we came about those looks was making the thing. So I think that's why like our music videos all ended up looking the way they did because as we were working with the tools, we were like, that looks good. That looks good. That doesn't look good. We should change this. Um, But if you had asked us to make style frames for that at the beginning of the music video, it would have looked completely different, Yeah, which doesn't work in a commercial setting the way traditional commercials are pitched. I think now there's a lot, more openness to the idea that things may change. But I also think like 
I've gotten better at understanding how to work with a process. Like, um, you know, now I work a lot with designers and illustrators or like, I understand that I can, um, how to discuss with the client. Like if something is like concept art versus a style Mm, frame or like, you know, look to this for characters, but look to this for lighting, but we're not necessarily going to present like a style frame or like if we are, we just need more time. Yeah. Well, I think a big, big thing that has to do with that is trust, right? Like just like, you know, when you were early on working on those early music videos, like you had a lot of trust from the people you were working with because they were like, oh, you know, these guys make great stuff. But then I think sometimes the culture of advertising, like obviously totally makes sense that they want to like clients want to see like, where is this going? Like, where is this headed? But then it's also like incredible when you get someone who's like, you know what, like, you know, tell me your plan. But like we understand things change and like things can mold in the process of of creating these these videos. Um, now, I'm curious, you have your, your own company now and you're, you're kind of able to um, kind of craft that. And like, you know, as, as owner of your company, right, you're in, almost in charge of like building that trust in your clients. Uh, so how has that mm-hmm. changed now that you kind of are running the show now? Yeah, I totally agree that trust is, it's a huge thing, right? It's almost that like the gold ring everybody wants both on the client side and Mm -hmm. um, the studio or artist side. Um, I don't love it when people are always like client as if it's in an opposition because I do think like you're, you're both on the same side. Like everyone's just trying to make the best thing. It's like you may disagree on maybe what the, most appropriate um, final product would be for the goals, either because like your goals are different or because you just disagree on like what the best thing would be. But especially since um, Slanted does a lot of interactive work in addition to traditional animation, motion graphics, like that's a world where even more so there's this Mm. added layer of well, if you if you want to do something no one's ever done before, <laughs> yeah, yeah, then we don't you know what that looks like right me, now, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you gotta, I think it requires a lot of confidence too to just stand your ground and and say like this is actually how long this is going to take, mm. and this is how much research and development this is going to take because a lot of it is so new that there needs to be room for that. So you actually you just mentioned that you guys it kind of came full circle, right? You studied interactive installations in school and now uh, your company slanted like does that. What, first of all, what would you say like is the balance right now between like, you know, animation and interactive that you guys do? Sure. So I think when I started slanted, the mix was maybe 10% interactive and 90% motion graphics and animation. Did you Um, have anything to start with? Like, did you have any like example work or were you just kind of like, Hey, we do interactive. So the project that actually led me to leave um, Mixtape Club was an interactive installation in the Sacramento airport um, that was a collaboration with Camille Utterback. So it really is full circle, um, who is the woman I was an assistant for um, eight years previous. She had been awarded this really amazing uh, public art commission for the Sacramento airport. And she had pitched this idea of 14 screens wrapped around a two-story elevator and then um as the elevator would move up and down uh and this is in the terminal so there's like constantly people using the elevator with their suitcases yeah um 
there would be these animations that would change based on the elevator position and the elevator like velocity as it moved. So she had originally asked me to, I think, help her with some pitch graphics. So I made some stuff where like there were leaves falling and then the elevator went from the first to the second floor and then that created turbulence. So all the leaves kind of blew away and it got awarded, which is amazing. And then yeah, she- Yeah, that's incredible. Is amazing. She very generously offered to make it a full collaboration. So not just that I was kind of a animator she was bringing on on the team, but to basically be a co-artist. Hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Um, which well, I'm I'm very thankful for. <laughs> yeah. But it was a it it was so different from everything I had done previous because when you're working with. Um, buildings, the timeline is like two and a half years because they're actually building this oh, airport wow. terminal from scratch. Wow, that's like um, feature film like timelines. My goodness. Totally. Um, and the first year, we kind of, I just did it like outside of uh, my work. But the second year, or kind of like as basically as we as we got into the like year year and a half before delivery, I was like, I can't do both because. Um, when you're at the time I felt like when I was, when a pitch would come in, um, because your salary is kind of tied to the jobs you win. I was like, well, I have to work on this pitch. And if we get it, I'm like, well, you have to direct it. And I, I think because Jesse, Chris and I had been doing the company since we graduated and we had been together for eight years. So it was like basically being work married for eight years. (laughs) Um, like, I couldn't conceptualize of how to stay there, but be like, oh, I have this major project that's going to take over half my time and that I have to fly to California for, you know, every one or two months and feel like I'm a fair partner in the company. So it just made more sense to leave and then like freelance and do this, this art project. So I'm curious, were you doing a lot of the coding involved? Like, were you getting into, I don't don't know, I'm super interested in this area. Um, I'm like nights and weekends trying to learn some coding, um, some Swift actually right now, but processing has always been an interest to me as well. Um, I don't know, have you always been into code? Is that something that's a big part of your your day-to-day now? It is now. I've always kind of loved it. Like I said, I like taught myself... um, website design when I was a teenager. Um, and my, my mother is actually a computer programmer and my father is a computer engineer. So we had, oh, wow. quite the background um, for, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Coding. And it, what's really weird is they're, <laughs> we're Japanese, but from Peru. Oh. So they went to engineering <laughs> school yeah. in Lima, <laughs> which is super wacky. So my mom has these stories about like learning how to program in Peru on punch cards. <laughs> <laughs> And when we were growing up, like the scratch paper in our house was punch cards. I didn't realize that till I was a lot older. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I mean, that's another thing that's kind of, it's all, I'm starting to realize this now, but I'm like, oh, because my parents had computers at home and I was very like, it was very demystified to me at a very young age. Yeah. I think that made me very comfortable and like not scared at all of like just learning code all the time. So I, I'm actually teaching myself Swift too right now. It's kind of fun. Oh, cool. Um, well, maybe we can l- <laughs> learn something from each other. You're probably way ahead of me, but. Nah, we should make an app together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, but 
the the elevator project, uh, I learned a software program called Touch Designer that I'd say 100% of the slanted interactive projects are done in now. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. It's Touch super designer. funny. Is it like uh, uh, platform specific, like Mac or Windows or something? It's PC only. Okay. And it, it has the same bones as Houdini. Oh. It was actually the guys who worked on Houdini uh, early on kind of wanted to focus on real time and they did their own offshoots. So it's it's the software Obscura Digital uses a lot for projection mapping. Cool. Um, and like V squared, like the, uh, God, I can't remember right now. Oh man, I'm on their website right now. I'm like getting excited. This looks sweet. <laughs> it's, it's all um, node-based. So I yeah. think people who use Nuke or if you like Expresso for Cinema 4D. Yeah, or maybe like um, Quartz, Com- Quartz Composer or something. Quartz Composer. Like I, I actually feel really strongly that... Um, you know how Cinema 4D kind of like broke out 3D modeling and animation for for motion designers and yeah. kind of like made it accessible? I feel like Touch Designer is the software program that can do that Ooh. for interactive. So because exciting. this is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you can do a lot without coding, but if you like coding, like Python is built in. So I taught myself wow. Python also. Like wow, once that's, I had that. that's pretty high level, right? That Python's kind of higher level of abstraction, a little bit closer. Eh, or no? Yeah, is, is it's it's all bad? the same. <laughs> okay, cool. I don't know. Um, but yeah, touch is, touch is fantastic. Um, it's, it's also the learning tools and the community are, I think, a lot stronger now than they were in yeah. like 2008, I think, is when I started using it. Um, back then it was a little bit rough, but it was so, it was just so, so, so satisfying. So, for the Sacramento project, I ended up doing like a particle system that was this kind of painterly river. And then I kind of like rolled my own version basically of trap code particular. Oh, wow. Um, Very because cool. there wasn't a way for me to like generate sprites and like do particles along a path with like all these random variables that I wanted. So um, I did that. I've been meaning, maybe this will be the kick in the butt I need, but I've been meaning to kind of <laughs> clean up that code and release it publicly online oh yeah um, you definitely should i want to check that out that sounds awesome yeah i think i'll do that oh god i have to okay <laughs> um but but just because i've benefited a lot from people sharing tools so you know it's like you got to get back um i actually the the yule log um dan savage's yule log project we did a, a practical set with a laser and Ooh. the laser we controlled with Touch Designer, and then I, I released oh, no that way. patch online. Yeah, very cool. I just I was just watching that. That's super cool. So everybody go watch it. It's on your <laughs> Vimeo. So yeah. So man, you you're involved in so many things. You've got all this interactive <laughs> stuff going, but then you guys do some crazy awesome stop motion and and cell animation. Um, so let's talk about that for a little bit. How? Yeah. I I don't know. I like I view your work. I feel like. It's very original. There's not not too many people that do work that looks like yours. Um, I don't know how how did you get into? Well, we, we talked a little bit about how you got into stop motion and cell right now, but um, oh man, I don't know. Can you just talk about like stop motion for a little bit? <laughs> Why do you love stop motion? Because it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I love cell and stop motion because it still feels the most magic to me. Like it still feels the most like, oh my God, that thing has come to life. Yeah. And it still feels to me the most like 
I can tell someone made that. Like cell animation mm-hmm. to me, when I watch it, I get this feeling where I'm like, oh my God, someone drew that. Yeah. Um, and I think that appeals really strongly to me. And actually to go back to your previous question, which I don't think I fully answered, when we started, <laughs> it was 10% interactive, like 90% motion graphics. And just... I think in the last three months of 2015, we're at like 50-50. Oh, wow. So That's awesome. half, yeah, it's crazy. Half the RFPs that come in are, are you know, some form of interactive requirement and half of them are animation. Man, that's so interesting because, like, I feel like they're so, like, opposite to me. Like, cell, cell <laughs> animations, like, you know, like, drawing by hand. And then on the other side, you've got, like, this code environment that's all, like, very mathematical and processed. I don't, do you feel like they're opposite or do you feel like they, they mesh together pretty well? Well, I have this theory that um, around, you know, 2005, let's say, um, or whatever, 2004 to 2008, I kind of feel like it was this moment in animation and motion graphics where the tools had kind of caught up to the point where it was the first time you were getting to see a wider range of classically trained like illustrators, right? Mm, so yeah. like the the Kim Delaney at PSYOP, the crazy Stardust stuff, like it was the first time you were seeing these illustrators and it was coming in emotion, like coming to life. And so there was just this crazy wave of commercials where you were seeing illustration styles in computer graphics that you hadn't seen before. And I think I think that's actually progressed even more and more where now it's like there's even 3D animation that kind of looks cell animated or looks drawn and and that's kind of been perfected um or at least like now it's a little bit more uh tried and true as opposed to like oh my god we just figured out how to make it look like this (laughs) Um, and i i really feel in the next five years like the tools are finally there where interactive experiences and you're starting to see it in apps and in Mm -hmm. projection mapping stuff it's like the interactive tools are there where we're gonna start to be able to have hand-drawn illustration styles and all of the variety that comes when you can utilize illustrators who have really unique styles applied into interactive art. So then, you know, now interactive experiences doesn't mean it's going to all look the same. Like it's not Mm -hmm. all going to look like creative code or like CG rendered stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen um, Marcus Eckert's Squall? You mess around with that? I have. I have downloaded half of it <laughs> okay yeah yeah you got it you got to check it out um yeah. to anyone who doesn't know marcus eckert we're having him on the show two episodes from now i think um awesome. <laughs> yeah he he blows my mind in motion graphics and coding and everything um but he just came out with this really interesting plugin for after effects that basically lets you animate with shape layers in after effects and then it it shows up live on your phone native like within your app and, and you can get it up and running um in like no time it's fantastic so go check it out squall s-q-u-a-l-l we'll put a link in the show notes but yeah no it's exactly what you're talking about michelle is like this incredible tool that is going to allow animators of all kinds to just like make some really incredible interactive stuff i'm so excited yeah i'm i'm very excited too and that gets back to that idea of like i love these communities where people um you know, they make something, but then they also share it. And then that enables even more people to be creative, Yeah, which I think is great. So I'm curious, what do you see 
as being next for you? Like next for maybe you personally in your career, next for Slanted? Um, where are you guys headed? So I'm hoping there will be a lot more interactive work. Um, I'm really loving all of these projects because they, um, I don't know, it's like problem solving on a whole new scale and getting to work on canvases that are a yeah. totally different scale. Um, and I, I like maintaining also the animation. I know it's funny, we've been doing a lot of internal like branding, figuring out you know, how do we present ourselves? And the stop motion really is completely different than yeah. interactive. But I do feel very passionate about maintaining both and kind of maintaining uh, the ability to do the craft of traditional stop motion and illustration. And I think it is, uh, it is an important style and it is an important way to tell a story. And it doesn't matter if it's going to be in interactive on a on a phone or on the internet or in person in a lobby or at an event. Like I think that type of visual can still convey something that maybe another look can't. So I do believe those looks, those things can go together. Um, As far as the company at large, uh, I actually last year, um, the city of New York has this really, really great program called strategic steps for growth that they offer small businesses. Um, Oh, cool. It's, it's a, it's a program you have to apply to. Um, and they just, I think three years because there's this mayor's office initiative where they're trying to grow like film and television, uh, in the city, they offered a program where it's like 14 CEOs, essentially like small business owners can apply, but you have to have a company that is in like film, television, or media. Um, and you have to have been of a certain size and been in business for a certain amount of time. Uh, but if you get in, it's essentially like a one-year mini MBA program oh, that's at nice. NYU Stern. Yeah, uh, very cool. I was like super thankful that it even exists and that I got in. And it was once I was in, it was really interesting because I was the only animation company, um, and there was like one other interactive company. So it was this range of like there was a composer and there was a sound finishing house and there was a couple film production companies and the age range of the people ranged from like, I think I was the youngest to 34. And then I think, you know, maybe mid fifties. And then the company sizes were like a couple people were just themselves. uh, And then other people had like 20 employees and had been in business for, you know, two decades. And then the kind of, uh, sales of the companies would range from like, you know, the five figures to the seven figures. So, uh, it was a very good mix and it was very refreshing to talk to other business owners that had, uh, shared, like we had enough in common that I could talk about, let's say, uh, bids or pitching and they understood what I meant, but we also were different enough that I think they gave me a good perspective where I wasn't like, I don't know, like complaining to another motion graphics designer and all we were doing was commiserating, (laughs) but not really moving the ball forward. Um, So as kind of as a result of that um, and like having to, you know, think about the business and what I wanted it to be for at least 10 hours a week, it kind of made me think hard about like how big of a company do I want? You know, like what kind of jobs do we want to be doing? Uh, and then actually going to the blend conference was like, also, I think a very pivotal for me, like kind of seeing, Oh man, we didn't how, meet up at the blend. Conference. I know there were so many people I didn't meet. I was kind of, 
um, shy at Blend. <laughs> oh, no. It, it was kind of overwhelming. It was like all these people yeah. that I like, love, and know on the internet. But anyways. Yeah. yeah. Next Blend. Next time, yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But I think, you know, what Tendril said really spoke to me. What Giant Ant said really spoke to me. Yeah. So I think I realized that I think when I started Slanted, I was just like, oh, I want to do these projects and like the type of projects I want to do, I need infrastructure for. Mm. So, uh, and I can't do out of my apartment. So, so, it, and it was this more like reactive thing. Like I was reacting to the jobs that were coming in and like, so it'd be like, oh, okay, I got this commercial. All right. I need to spool up to somehow fit me and three other freelancers. Okay. I'll buy another iMac. Like, okay. But it was like very reactive. And now I, I think I reached the point over the course of taking that class where I realized I was like, oh, I'm the limiting factor now in the company. Like the company cannot grow any bigger than it already is because I'm this like bottleneck where all the business decisions and all the creative direction and everything has to go through me. And it's like, it can never become more than this unless I like let go mm. and I, and I scale essentially. And I am like, okay, Slanted Studios is no longer like Michelle Higa Fox's studio that just exists to like do her projects. I was like, Slanted Studios has to become its own thing. And that means it's like, when you go to the website, it's like a group of people yeah. and like those people like share a sensibility and like can do much more than like I could ever have done by myself. And I was like, and I was really excited for that. So I think I do, you know, over the next couple of years, I hope, uh, we can grow. Like, I don't want to, I, I have no ambition to grow, you know, as big and, you know, try to compete with Buck or like grow that size. But like, I do want to kind of grow the studio to the point where other people can have careers and, you know, and like learn to become really great directors and creative directors and that the studio can be a place for that. And it's not just for me anymore. Yes, I love that. That is an excellent <laughs> vision. And I feel very much the same way, actually. And uh, yeah, I, well, I, I wish you the best. I hope that 2016, like, yeah, I think it'll be a great year. So, well, unfortunately, we are we are all out of time, which makes me sad. <laughs> but um, so at the end of every episode, we kind of have a few of the same final questions. Um, the Q. first being, who is your dream client? My dream client would be um, the MTA, who is the company that runs the subway here in New York, (laughs) who a lot of people hate, but like there's, there's this thing called percent for arts. I think it might be national. It's not just New York, but um, there's an initiative where like 1% of every budget of like building, you know, big new buildings has to go to public art, which I think is an amazing initiative. Um, and that's actually how the Sacramento airport project came about, but there's all this like really amazing quirky art that all has really different points of view, like in every subway stop. Um, and my dream would be to be able to make a piece for one of those subway stops. That would be incredible. So many people would get to see it, interact with it. I feel like you, it would even like set you up to like even maybe change the course of people's like daily lives almost. I feel like that's an awesome project or would be. Yeah. One, I don't know, maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. No. Those people are definitely listening right now. So <laughs> I wish. But 
All right, next question. What is your favorite animated film? Um, so it was rejected, but that got taken by, I think, Adam Pluth. You can have, you can have the same one. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's cool. Um, I love that Adam Pluth interview. Um, but I think, can I do two? Yeah, of course. Okay. I don't know if I can one... tell you. I don't, I don't know if I can pick one. So I, don't, I can't hold you to that. Um, there's a short called The Hedgehog and the Fog by Yuri Norstein. Oh, okay. Um, I'll have to look that up. That was really, really, really influential uh, when I was in Mixtape Club. Uh, it's this, like, uh, kind of flat, like, on a glass tabletop multi-layer animation, but it had this kind of, like, depth and, uh, like, render quality of rendering that was, like, beautiful illustration of a picture book, and I just... I remember being in college and I was like, I don't understand how this is even possible. And I think everything that I make, basically, you can you look at that and you're like, oh, I see. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is this is wonderful. It almost looks like uh, like Limbo was inspired by this a little bit. Yeah. The, the uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. The the My Morning Jacket um, music video I did with Mixtape Club, I think, was the the us trying as hard as we could to make our own version. And then after that, I was like, okay, no more, Michelle, like just move on. Um, and then the other piece is, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but, but I think Zbig Rybczynski is oh. another guy. And he had a short called Tango. Um, and this goes to my kind of more programming VFX roots, but it's basically a single shot of a room and then this ball bounces in through the window and this little kid climbs through the window. And this is all like photo reel, it's film. Um, this kid climbs through the window and then goes, gets the ball, goes back through the window. And then as soon as he leaves, the loop starts again. And so it's a loop. And then a woman then comes in through the door or something and then she goes back and it's all these loops that start to build on top of each other. Oh, wow. That sounds incredible. And then, and, but the thing is, it's all photo. And I think it was done in maybe 79 or something. So he did all of this with like optical printing compositing, which is crazy. So I love Very that cool. piece. Man, I need to check both those out. I can't <laughs> wait. All right. What do the people that you love think that you do for a living? I think they know now. I think my mom and my dad know now. They, they're like, she makes animation or she makes animated things, but I don't. Yeah, but then you got the interactive side of that. I feel like that's, that's pretty challenging. You, you've got a bit of a tricky one because there's, there's two halves to it. Yeah. I don't think they have any idea what my day to day is like. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, every time I finish a project, I send it to them. I email it to them. And then I usually get a, when I hop on the phone with them, I'm like, Oh, did you get the link? And they're like, it was nice. It's pretty consistent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But my, I mean, both my parents are very, um, they're very creative and I'm, I'm very grateful for, for how hard they worked. Like my, you know, my dad did, uh, when he retired, he just ended up doing carpentry and he loved that and he can like build any, actually my dad, um, I sent my dad some YouTube videos of like make your own slider or like make your own like um, like snorry cam. Yeah. Like that camera where it's like on a pole so you can do the Re Requiem for a Dream. And the next time I went home from Christmas, he had like built them all. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I was just like, Dad, you're amazing. <laughs> um, and my mom, you know, she was always really into crafts and stuff. So we spent a lot of time in Michael's when I was a kid. So I'm very thankful to both of them. Yeah. you can. I mean, you can see that come out in your work. Even. 
Like, yeah. you have to make all that stuff, all that stop motion. <laughs> all right, last question. What is your animalator? What animal did you choose for your animalator and why? I chose a blue merle corgi, uh, cardigan corgi, because uh, of my dog, Merlin, who is our fourth studio mate. <laughs> he comes to work every day and just chills out. So I think he's good for good for stress. He really gives perspective. <laughs> that sounds great. Maybe we should get one. <laughs> well, Michelle, thanks so much for coming on today's show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was super fun. Animalators is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and created in collaboration between Identity Visuals and Gradient. To learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out identityvisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can find out more about Gradient by visiting the website gradient.is or following them on Twitter at gradient.is. That's gradient, D-O-T-I-S. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, you can find us at Animalators. Our theme music was written and produced by Cody Fry. You can hear more about his music at CodyFry.com. To find out more about Michelle and her studio's work, you can head to their website at slanted.studio or follow her on Twitter at Higapod. That's at H-I-G-A-P-O-D. Don't forget to go to Animalators.com where you can see Michelle's Animalator and check out all the other incredible Animalators from previous guests as well. If you haven't done it yet, be sure and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere else you might listen to your podcasts. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. We'll see you all in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animalators.